do you enjoy data futurology and the unique take that we have on leadership in data science? If so, please consider sponsoring us. We're currently looking for individuals and organizations to help us continue to create this content for the community. If you're an individual, please head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash datafuturology and you'll get some special perks, special access through that page. If you're an organization and you would like to get involved and help Data Futurology, please get in touch with me either through LinkedIn, through the website or via email. We'd love to hear from you so we can continue this mission of helping people become better leaders in the data science space. Thanks for your support. If you sell a vision that's too bold to people who aren't ready to receive it, they're going to stop it on site and you won't get anywhere, right? And so if you have this bold vision, how do you pare it down in a way that people, and almost like digestible chunks, similar to what big tech does, right? So if I think that if Elon Musk came out and he said, I want to see, because he did say this, and he said, I want to see human life on Mars. And the few people who did hear it, they thought he was bonkers, yeah. right? But lo and behold, if you look at everything that he's done and he's put in place, what is he moving towards, yeah. right? And so um, so it's almost like you almost have to disregard the bold vision and just really appreciate the incremental steps he's taken towards getting to what he ultimately wants to achieve, this interplanetary life that he describes. Today, we speak with Chris Boone, who is the Vice President and Global Head of Health Economics and Outcomes Research at Abbey. He's also an adjunct professor at the New York University's Graduate School of Public Service. He's an active board member of several influential organizations. He's had a few startups in the past, and most recently he's served as the Vice President and Head of Global Medical Epidemiology and Big Data Analysis at Pfizer. He is a fantastic leader. He's a visionary and innovator. He leads with his heart um, and and essentially not not with his brain and uses his, his intellect to bring people up. I thoroughly enjoy the conversation with him. I hope you will do as well. Let me know what you think. Here's a conversation with Chris. If you want to get more value from your data analytics investment, I highly recommend you speak with Rubik's. That's Rubik's with an X at the end. I've done a lot of work with them. They're excellent at what they do, and they're a lot of fun to work with as well. Rubik's are a fully Australian-owned data analytics technology services company. They work with top ASX-listed companies. They are dedicated to being Australia's leading data company. That's all they do. They love doing it. The experts at Rubik's apply their extensive data capability and rapid analytics framework to help you get the value you need from your data within a couple of weeks. After that, the sky's the limit. I've been impressed at how fast they are at delivery. Unlike other consulting companies, Rubik's is a true partner. They are data specialists. They always send in their A-team, or as they like to call it, the data Avengers. For data strategy, all the way through to delivery, give them a call, ask for Dylan. You'll have a fantastic conversation. You'll walk away smarter and have had a few laughs as well. And also check out the website rubix.com.au and for the contact form go to rubix.com.au forward slash contact hi this is felipe today i'm speaking with mr chris boone dr chris boone actually chris <laughs> thank you so much for joining the show how are you doing today i'm great i cannot complain you know in spite of this uh 
COVID pandemic that we're all suffering through, um, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing well in spite of that. So that is great. Great to hear. Um, and I wanted to ask you at the beginning for, for, uh, the people that may not know you yet, um, can you give us a bit of your origin story and how was it that you got pulled into the world of data and then, and then um, obviously into health informatics and we can take it from there. But um, how was it that, that data first intrigued you and, um, and enticed you to, to get into the world? You know, it's funny because I, you know, I think that everybody would say I wasn't pulled, I was called, you know, it was a calling, you know, uh, some like spiritual moment that we all have when we come into the world of data. I think it's interesting, but I, I actually, I <laughs> you know, I was, um, you know, it's actually a more interesting question to ask about the world of health data, but, I, but I'll start with data just broadly. I actually was, uh, my undergraduate degree was in information systems. And so I was in the world of data and data structures pretty much that entire time, right? I mean, that's what the premise of that particular uh, college major is, is around data systems and data structures. And so, I, I, but I knew that, you know, over the course of doing several internships in my undergraduate career, that I uh, didn't really care for industries where I didn't feel like I was helping people in a meaningful way. And, uh, and there, there was a moment when, um, I remember when I had an advisor who I don't even speak to this, to, to, to this day, but I should credit her with all of my success because she's the one that redirected me to healthcare. And I remember when I was having a conversation that, you know, most of my internships at that point had been in the energy and oil and gas industries. And I, and I went to her and I said, I'm just not feeling it, you know? And she goes, well, well what's the problem? I said, well, it's just not meaningful to me. I really just want to help people. Hmm. And at this time, this was in two, the year 2000. And she goes, um, well, have you thought about healthcare? And I was like, healthcare? And who wants to do that? I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to do anything like that. And she goes, no, but you can do administration. And I was like, what's an administrator? I, I never even connected the idea of a hospital and hospital having a hospital administrators. And so, you know, I started to do some really thorough research on it. And I was convinced that that was my purpose and that I was going to go off and I was going to be a CEO of a hospital that served underserved populations, right? And, uh, and so if you look at my uh, career trajectory, you'll see someone who graduated, start working in hospitals, got a master's in healthcare administration, became a fellow of the American College of uh, Healthcare Executives. I was well on my way. I was focused. Yeah. But yeah. I think um, there was a pivotal moment when um, my mother, who actually had a, uh, you know, she had several chronic uh, or chronic conditions that she deals with, but she had a stroke and it was a very young age when she had it. And we were literally like, when she started to exhibit symptoms of it, she went to one facility, one hospital. They, they essentially misdiagnosed her in, in many yeah. respects. Then, uh, and little did we know, so she had this blood clot that just traveled up to her brain. She had a stroke. She ended up at another facility. Now, none of us really even knew what her, all of her medical conditions and all the medications she was on. So it was my first real direct experience with the lack of information exchange. Yes. Keep in mind, I was in, in my I'm management information systems major, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, uh, it dawned on me that my greatest impact to the world could really be not in being in some, <laughs> no offense to hospital administrators, but political role running a hospital, yeah. but more or less in how could I use digital technologies and data to really improve care for all patients? And so at that point, I made a pivot. And I started to focus all of my efforts and energies into uh, you know, kind of innovative approaches to using data, 
public policy that affected our ability to use data, hence my uh, uh, doctoral studies in public affairs and public policy. Um, I started to get on, you know, committees and all sorts of things, everything centered on data, but it's centered on healthcare data. And now we're at a place now, it's interesting, and, and I know I'm, I, I, you can stop me if you have other questions, but now we're at this place now where we're incorporating all types of data, because essentially in my eyes, all data is healthcare data, because it's all human data is healthcare data. And so, uh, and so it was really cool now that we're at this time where we are, exploring what the um, the maximum utility the maximum utility of all these different data types are for healthcare but anyway so that's how i ended up uh, where we are what are some of the barriers for um, for organizations i want to say organizations in particular what are some of the barriers for organizations to to be able to do clinical research because it's it's something that um, as you said like the, the systems are not geared for it. I think sometimes people no. are not, not thinking that it is possible. Uh, what, yeah. what are some of the things that, some of the barriers that you've seen um, and, and then maybe some of the benefits of, of doing uh, that, that level of research as an organization? You know, it's, it's uh, I think, so you're, you're right. You're thinking about it right as far as like the cultural barriers are always, is what I would tell people. It's not the technical or technology that's the biggest barrier to, to really making this work because I do believe if you if you devote um, you know the the right amount of monetary resources and human resources you can address many of these issues but I think the problem that we have is we're still in a society where there's fear of the unknown um, I also think that in some cases the system is set up to benefit folks from having that level of fragmentation or even um, we'll say lack of high data quality because then it, you know, incentivizes them to then start a company that comes in and cleans up your data or, you know, so it's almost like it's more economic than, um, uh, uh, and then, than, than the cultural issues. I still think within organizations though, there's uh, there's that fear of the unknown, but I think when you have any type of innovative approach or innovation with anything, you know, generally people, don't gravitate to it when they don't fully understand it. Um, and sometimes yeah. that understanding can be as simple as, what exactly does it mean for me? Yes. <laughs> the meaning that, that if I'm the biggest beneficiary of it, then I'm all for the change. But if yeah. I can't, if I don't have a clear line of sight as to how it's going to work for me, uh, I'm not quite sure I'm totally on board with that. And so, you know, I think um, as a leader in this space, you know, going into different organizations and, and somewhat selling a vision on what this transformation could look like, uh, this data transformation could look like, one of the key things you have to do is identify, obviously, key use cases, but you also have to identify what is kind of the benefit or the value proposition for each of these individuals or groups in, within that organization for them to really buy into it. Because if, they don't, if they're not bought into it, it's just not going to work. Um, but I think, you know, one of the big things, too, you asked about benefits. Um, it's been, you know, what I've really been on, uh, certainly the last several years, is this idea of making, convincing all organizations that every company is now a data organization, whether they want to be or not. You are a data organization first that happens to make cars, or you happen to make computers, or you happen to make whatever you make. You're still a data organization, whether you want to be or not. The question is, how good of it are you? <laughs> at it are you? Right. And if you're and, and you might as well be really good at it because it will make or break your your business. And um, and I think that's the part that's the, a bit of a sobering reality for many of these uh, 
uh, leaders that are leading organizations now. Yes, definitely. And, and um, we definitely want to see more, more people adopting that, that mindset um, and creating the, the organizational and cultural change that, that comes as a result of being committed to uh, being a data-driven company. Uh, definitely, definitely the case. <clears throat> Sorry. I wanted to, to ask you with um, uh, one, of, one of the things that I've heard a lot when companies are thinking about um, doing more, more research internally, more clinical research, is sometimes there's barriers. There's um, barriers around the creating treatment and control groups, um, especially in, in healthcare, and where that may may mean that some people that, that could get a, a particular treatment don't get, uh, don't get that treatment so they can be a control group. Are there any, any ad, sort of advice or any ways that, that you, you have used in the past that, that help um, uh, address that, either get around it or, um, or directly uh, look into how that can be done? Do you have any, wow. any tips for organizations that are stuck at that point? What a great question. You really did do your homework on this, didn't you? Uh, no, you know, you're, you're kind of hitting on it's interesting, something that's probably one of the bigger ethical issues when it comes to this world of clinical research is around the idea that you have, you know, in the case of like, if you think about the, the pandemic that we're, uh, um, that we're in right now, is that as you're developing therapies or vaccines for that, there may be a certain control group of people who would get uh, historically a placebo, if you will, um, you know, and, uh, and, and, and there's questions around the, um, the ethical use of that for these patients who, if it's you or me in that control group, control group or it's our family members, we're thinking that they're actually getting treatment and they're not. And um, it's just kind of a part of the, uh, uh, the clinical research approach that we've done with RCT since the beginning. But I think that what big data and what we refer, refer to and pharma is external control arms or external control groups or historical control groups allows us to do is use uh, to define patient populations based on that historical data set and use that in lieu of using an actual control group, control group if you will. Um, and that means that you would define this population, this, this data set based on the same inclusion and exclu exclusion criteria that you would use for that clinical trial or that clinical study and you would apply it to this historical data set, and, and then you compare those two uh, data sets against one another. But um, that's certainly something that's becoming more and more prevalent um, in the world of uh, certainly biopharmaceuticals and clinical research. And we think about, um, you know, more effective ways to better utilize um, big data for a number of reasons. First, obviously, uh, it addresses the, addresses the ethical concerns, right? You know, you want to talk about that. It certainly can accelerate the timeline that it would take to complete this sort of clinical study, um, because you spend uh, a significant amount of time on the uh, uh, on the recruitment and reta retention of participants in these type of uh, mm. clinical studies. Uh, and then also, I think that you know it's it's lower cost, right? You have the data is there, so you really kind of have this opportunity to really. Uh, to certainly think about things in a different way. That's a very practical use case, right? So as I'm talking to folks about the benefits of using that particular use case that you just described, that's easy for them to connect one, you know, connect the dots and see. I think it comes in where, 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 uh, where I get in trouble because I go bold, right? I believe in going yeah. big or going home. I'm like, well, can we just think about the way we do clinical trials differently 
all together, you know, just doing like a totally like big data trial, if you will, um, which is certainly a much more leveraging all digital and data technologies that we know. And it's much more virtual and decentralized. And, and, I've, and honestly, right now, one of the concerns uh, in the world of the pandemic, how do you continue with clinical trials when patients aren't able to go into uh, you know, any of these environments, right, to, to get, you know, to get seen. And so, uh, so almost it's like the pandemic, if there was a silver lining, and there's not many, um, you know, I think uh, some of the, the biggest beneficiaries have to be the digital companies mm. because we're leveraging Zoom and, and all these technologies that we use casually before. Now they're the primary source at which we meet and conduct business. So... I think that that's the world that we, the world as we know it will change. Yes. Yes, definitely. And that, and um, doing it for the, for the benefit of, of people's health um, is, is a fantastic, um, fantastic reason to, to adopt the change and, and bring in, bring in the new technologies. Um, so on, on that front, are you, sorry, <coughs> Oh, I um I wanted to ask you about the the new types of data sources that that have been uh, coming out, coming into your radar, say in the last few years, or anything that you can share. Uh, what what uh, type of data sources has you um, excited or has excited you recently um, it, that br- that brings data that can that can help either provide um, or get us closer to this vision of being able to do. Uh, experiments or, or, or clinical research at, at scale, or that can give us ways of monitoring people's health in a, in a better way, in a more proactive way, uh, anything like that are new types of, of data that have um, got you excited recently or at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because listening to your question, there, there's uh, multiple parts to it. You said doing clinical research at scale, that's kind of, that's one uh, certainly introduces, one, you know, kind of this, a host of data types that would be most suitable for that. But then you also talk about the world that most people are really kind of focused on, mm-hmm. uh, which is this whole world of personalized or precision medicine, yeah. uh, which is all about getting that right drug to the right patient at the right time, which, you know, you and I could have the same clinical diagnosis, but what works for you could be different than what works for me. Right. And um, and I think so what that does is introduces this need to better understand what environment do you live in? What's your genetic makeup? Um, you know, what therapies have you been responsive to in the past in a favorable way? Which ones do you have adverse reactions to? Uh, you know, you start to understand all of these different things. And so that combines data that we know uh, that we've captured about you over your lifetime in the EHRs or the electronic health records. That comes understanding your family history better. That comes from understanding the environment in which you live, whether it be a lot of the social determinants that we hear about, you know, whether it be the climate, you know, pollution, whether it be you have power lines that are running right under your house. I mean, you know, who knows, right? Uh, a number of things. And then it comes from looking at um, genetic data or genomics um, and, and, and better understanding that. And I think that what I find most exciting about that is just like this convergence of these uh, different data types where it's more like data fusion, if you will, um, that uh, in a way that we've never seen it before, because we used to just analyze a single data type at a time. 
mm. right? We, we essentially conform that data to whatever data structure, that predetermined data structure we wanted. We made sure it was cleaned up as best it could, we could, and then we would analyze it, right? Now we're saying, uh, you know, data is too unstructured and I don't think we can get it to the point where it's consistently, a data structure is consist consistently applied across, throughout. And there are all these different data types, but yet we still need to get it to a point where we can analyze it and have some insights into um, the population. So I think, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a multivariate approach. And I think that um, um, where we are now and, and, and it is a very, very exciting. And, and, I, and you find yourself having to lean more on people who aren't, as familiar with the industry, but they're experts in whatever technical disciplines they are and partnering them with industry experts in order to do these types of studies and analysis. Man, super, super exciting. Uh, super exciting. This, um, this new world of, of healthcare or as in like the, yeah. the transformation that it's, that it's going on and that obviously that has been going on for quite a while, but now it's um, yeah. really heating up. What type of things are occupying your mind at the moment? What type of things are you either working on, obviously, that you can share, and, or what type of things are you looking forward to? Uh, what's, what's exciting you at the moment? What's, what's taking up that, that um, intellectual brain time? I think um, I'm always thinking about the art of the possible, and I try not to get too far ahead of myself um, because, you know, when you're too much of a futurist, uh, people think you're a little insane yeah. and, uh, and they think you are also, uh, you know, sometimes they can peg you, they'll peg you as academic, they'll peg you as impractical, they'll peg you with all these different monikers, right? A why whatever you're doing doesn't work. And so I try to stay um, pretty balanced and, um, and, you know, taking this very future forward perspective, this very innovative approach with a certain level of pragmatism. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's hard to really balance the two. Right. Because I think in order to really strive towards anything, you have to think big picture. What can I do? And then you work backwards with some plan to get you there. Right. And, and that's to me, I don't see how you can do it any other way. Um, but but I've also learned, too, that if you sell a vision that's too bold mm -hmm. to people who aren't ready to receive it, they're going to stop it on site and you won't get anywhere. Right. And so how do you if you have this bold vision? How do you pare it down in a way that people, and almost like digestible chunks, similar to what big tech does, right? So if I think that if Elon Musk came out and he said, I want to see, because he did say this, and he said, I want to see life, human life on Mars, right? And the few people who did hear it, they thought he was bonkers, yeah. right? But lo and behold, if you look at everything that he's done and he's put in place, what is he moving towards, yeah. right? And so, um, so it's almost like you almost have to disregard the bold vision and just really appreciate the incremental steps he's taken towards getting to what he ultimately wants to achieve, this interplanetary life that he describes, right? Um, and I, so I think um, for me, uh, you know, not quite being Elon Musk, but, uh, but I do greatly admire this guy. And um, I think I'm trying to think about what does the world in data look like in a healthcare in a life sciences world next. Mm -hmm. How do we be bolder and how, we, how do we learn from data real time to improve patient outcomes and the patient experience? How do we really accelerate the time that it takes to get a newly developed molecule 
uh, and drug to patients much quicker and they and they and it goes exactly to the right person at the right time you know and so it's all about thinking about this cycle or the system if you will and how to connect it better with the foundation of it being data and how it moves through the system and how we make it available to the right people and that to me is always the aspiration going back to what did i say information exchange with my mother right and so for me it's always thinking about the system and how we move data through it and learn from it faster to where we don't have situations like you have with my mother and so many countless other folks who've had similar experiences. Exactly. No, that is that is fantastic. And do you do you find that 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 worldview and that vision is um, is aligned? And I'm and I'm hesitating to see if I can make it a less a less tricky question, but because <laughs> what I what I wanted to ask is how how aligned is it to to the um, the responsibilities of your of your jobs over time, um, but but maybe maybe I should phrase them more as in like, do you are you able to make take the steps that you want to take um, as as part as part of uh, your your suite of responsibilities? Um, is there is there in, is there a space for this, and how does that compare to to the rest of the responsibilities? Because you have. You know, and for a long time, you've had such such big roles, and I will ask you a little bit about a contrast and compare between them. But um, but first, um, it's you know, I, I think I think I think I got your question, and 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 I agree. I think that sometimes you know, the vision is so bold, it's bigger than the job, or it's bigger than the company at which you're working for to achieve it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think though, if I think about the systems approach to how this ecosystem works. Every actor has a role, and what, I, what I've learned is that I try to maximize the role of that actor in that broader system. So in the case of a pharma company, um, then you, the question is, okay, well, we care about research and development. We care about uh, getting drugs approved and vaccines approved. We care about commercializing those drugs and making them available, and we care about learning from those things. So then... Well, there's a lot to be done in that space. And then, you know, you start to think about, well, uh, is there a way we can disrupt how clinical trials work? You know, is there a way we can think about how we improve or incorporate patient experiences more into, um, into the paradigm that we've ever done before? So I think it does, you know, uh, so obviously I have this broad, bold vision, but I think there are certain like more manageable initiatives that have to be done to achieve it, right? So, you know, and, and so kind of going back to uh, the Elon Musk example, and even how he launched Tesla, then SpaceX, and so on and so forth, um, he took much more of a systematic approach to how he's achieving what he's doing. And I think that there's, it's no different for me. Um, I think that, um, and so even when it comes to those particular use cases that I even I, I've identified, even within those, there are certain initiatives or projects that have to be done to ultimately achieve it. And it could be something as simple as you asked earlier, like what are one of the key challenges? I think for us in the U.S., it's certainly been the lack of a national patient identifier. Hmm. So we're trying to do everything around it, right? When the easiest thing to do is to establish a national patient identifier, then we can just create one longitudinal record for every citizen in the U.S., and then we can do all these really, really cool things. And obviously, it doesn't mean that's the only challenge we have, but it's certainly one of the bigger ones, mm. right? And so, um, so I think the more 
um, you know, we can address these types of things, the better off we'll be. I think that is a, you know, fantastic note to end on. Did you, did you have any, any other sort of um, final thoughts that you want to share? Um, maybe around what, what would you like to see in, in the industry um, going forward? Is there anything that you think that, that um, the industry is, is lacking or, or are there a, a particular, if you, if you could make any, any change um, in the industry that would help, help the industry be, become better, what, what would be um, something that would be towards the top of your list? I think um, what I would like to see is, are some of the key lessons we learned from the pandemic. Um, I would like to see certainly much more global efforts to addressing uh, global problems um, that we all f face and share, um, working together in order to achieve that. I would like to see um, more cross-pollination of ideas and talent across different industries to address those problems. Um, and I would like to see certainly us doing a better job of building that pipeline of talent. You asked me about the uh, you know, being on faculty and being in, I view that honestly as an obligation, you know, to really help mentor and shape the talent that's coming behind us, right? Uh, we're young now, we won't be young forever. Uh, I feel like I'm getting old already. But the question is, is who do you pass the torch to, right? As you are thinking about this whole thing and, you know, we can go off and I can say, I want to be the greatest leader, but I certainly hope someone comes behind me and say they want to be the greatest leader too and they top every single thing that I've done. You know, um, you know, so I, I hope that's, that's what I think we need, you know, when I think about it, those three things. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Uh, Chris, um, you're, man, you're an exceptional leader. You, you are um, a, a, an intellectual powerhouse, but I find that you, you, you Thanks. don't lead with that. You lead, you lead with your heart. Uh, you lead with, with positivity, with a bold vision and, um, the impact that you're having on the industry is, is phenomenal. I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your story, your perspectives. It is um, immensely helpful for others. And I'm super grateful you did that with us today. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope your audience enjoys this conversation and they can certainly find me. I'm pretty easy to find. So happy to chat about anything. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.